Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome once again to our Beatitudes podcast series for St. Patrick Catholic Community. This presentation will cover the third of eight Beatitudes from the Gospel of Matthew, which is part of the larger section of the Sermon on the Mount. We always want to keep in mind that in the Beatitudes, Jesus offers us clear and sometimes challenging direction for how we are to be Christian disciples in mission. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. This third Beatitude carries a rather unique feature of inclusion. Imagine listening to Jesus on the hillside as he proclaims each of the Beatitudes, and we can see each group of unfortunate persons as Jesus names the situations and the subsequent reversal or reward that God's reign will bring. This third Beatitude, however, referring to the meek, is a little different from the other Beatitudes. While we tend to think of meek as being quiet or gentle, when we look to the broader context of Scripture for guidance, we see a much stronger description. Like all the Beatitudes, this third one also has an Old Testament root, this time in Psalm 37, verse 11. Here, the term meek proposes persons associated with a particular human condition of powerlessness or oppression, but it is in relationship to others who are at the opposite end of the spectrum from where they are located. The situation then is always linked to their connection with others in the community around them. When viewed in relationship, in the group of persons who would be on that hillside, the identification of the meek deepens beyond just one unfortunate group. The relational quality of living out this beatitude embraces everyone on that hillside, and therefore all of us. That being said, our understanding of this third beatitude and the blessedness of being meek requires that we uncover how living gospel meekness is so profoundly relational. To shed light on that special nature of this beatitude, we can turn to the journey of someone from our own St. Patrick community. Mary Promota, Director of Pastoral Activities, has a story to share with us that describes the uniqueness and challenge of gospel meekness. How coincidental that we land on this particular beatitude moving into the Advent and Christmas season. This is a season that we are called upon to use our resources to help those with less. So our Adopt-A-Family and Giving Tree programs are now well in full swing. A couple of years ago, we took our Adopt-A-Family and Giving Tree programs a step further, and we created the tradition of the Epiphany Tree. 
those epiphany trees were filled again with ornaments, although these ornaments did not have tangible gift requests on them. Instead, they were filled with prayer requests. We took all the situations that our families through the Adoptive Family and Giving Tree programs were experiencing and put a prayer for each situation on that ornament. And the direction given during the Epiphany homily was to not leave the church without an ornament. We were to go to the trees and without choosing one we liked, randomly pick one and use that ornament all year long as an opportunity to pray for those families experiencing that particular issue. And maybe, just maybe, God might lead them or us to taking some action. So some examples of situations that year were unemployment, the loss of a loved one, and homelessness. That particular year, one of our parishioners, John Denny, followed Father Eric's directions and randomly picked an ornament off the tree. Coincidence? Mm, I don't think so. I believed he picked an ornament off the tree that he was to pray for and that he would be called to act upon. This ornament was revolving around people experiencing homelessness. And by the way, he was a realtor by trade. His story of finding Jesus in this beatitude is beautiful. I don't remember exactly how long after Epiphany it was, but I remember John's call vividly. He called to tell me that the strangest thing had happened, and it was directly related to the ornament he picked off the Epiphany tree. He had been praying regularly for people experiencing homelessness, and as he was driving to an appointment, he noticed a family with a grocery cart walking down the street. Hmm, knowing John, I can see the conversation in his head. What am I to do, Lord? Shall I continue to pray for them, or should I stop and talk with them? Well, as you would guess, he did stop, and he talked to the family. Long story short, he used his resources as a realtor and helped them get into housing and connect them with the other resources they needed to help their family get on their feet. We're very grateful that John Denny has joined us himself to describe a little bit more of his experience. So welcome, John. Thank you. And Mary Promota gave us some background to your initial interaction with persons who are homeless through the invitation of the Epiphany Tree. But you have taken this response to this call far beyond that. So now you're a successful realtor and help people buy and sell houses all the time. How do you understand God having a hand in your successful business? Well, uh, I think that uh, God is in all things, and uh, uh, I believe that uh, you know I always haven't haven't always been successful. It's not been without its struggles, but I think uh, when I took up the verse, uh, "Seek the kingdom of God first, and all other things will be given unto you," uh, my trust in the Lord began to strengthen at that point, and my faith became stronger. So that that helped me through a difficult time in the real estate business. Those of us that were around in 2007 and 8 and had anything to do with business understand how difficult it, it was there for a while. So that got me through. Wonderful. So how does your ministry to the homeless, it, it's an interesting connection that someone in real estate uses resources 
to help people who have no chance for a home. So how do you find that God's gift to you has allowed you to gift others and help them in their situation? First of all, I don't want to say that they have no chance for a home. They don't have one right now. Uh, I've been close to homelessness in my own life, and I think that that's had a great effect on it. Uh, I've seen God's hand work in my own life and change a lot of things. But in all of those cases, it really wasn't without somebody else's interaction with his plan. So um, uh, one of my spiritual mentors said, be available. And I think that's the main thing. I try to remember to be available and to pray to be available when he needs me to be available. Tell us a little bit about how you directly use your resources to help people in homelessness. Well, I guess the one that Mary knows about is where I was going to a meeting in Phoenix and I did the Holy Spirit U-turn. I was driving down 24th Street. I was late for a meeting at Camelback and 24th Street headed north and I saw a family on the side of the road, uh, a situation which pulled on my heart. There were uh, four little kids and a shopping basket, and mom and dad. And the kids were dressed in school garb of some sort, you know, like kind uniforms. And it was uh, it was school day, so it kind of took me by a side. And it was around noon, so I thought, this is kind of unusual. So uh, uh, I literally was not wanting to make that U-turn, but the spirit filled me and turned that car around and I stopped and talked to them. And at that point, uh, we became involved in their lives, um, helped them to find housing, temporary immediate housing, and then more longer term housing. We found their story out and we did what we could to assist. And it wasn't just us. We reached out to a number of people in the parish. It just kind of grew by by word to help those people. It was right around this time of the year, uh, several years ago. I don't remember how long ago. And a number of people reached out. So it wasn't just us. So we, you know, I was available. Mm -hmm. Well, John, thank you so much for talking to us about your experience and how you take your resources, your abilities, your understandings, and seek out people who don't have enough, who are in a bad situation, and turn that around. And then because of that, the two of you inherit the land. Truly, you are living the beatitude. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. What John's story reveals is one of the three facets found in this jewel of a beatitude. In addition to those who are blessed because they are poor and powerless, meekness in the gospel sense includes those who have influence and resources, but view all they have as gift and then they use their resources to assist the poor and the powerless. Those who are dispossessed are now blessed by those who understand and embrace God's promise and place themselves in line with those who are lacking. We truly inherit the land in a new way. This inherited land brings to mind the new earth found later in the New Testament. We must believe that the new earth voiced in Revelation comes about in part because the old way of increasing the disparity between those who have and those who don't, this disparity is no more. Both the deserving poor, who are meek, and those with abundant resources, who are meek, 
will inherit this new land. It is literally a place of blessedness. Elizabeth Johnson, in her book, Consider Jesus, describes how Jesus' words stir us to beatitude living. She writes, Jesus' preaching emphasized that salvation is on its way from God. In other words, that God is on the side of the little ones, the outcast, even the sinners, promising them new life. All are called to open their hearts to receive the mercy of God. For the powerful, this involves a turning of heart and mind toward their brothers and sisters. The third facet or understanding of what gospel meekness means for us can be found in Jesus himself as he is portrayed in Matthew's gospel. Of all the various persons who are declared blessed by Jesus, that of being meek is the only one that Jesus associates with himself later in the gospel. One of those references is found at the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus instructs two disciples to obtain a tethered ass and a colt. Matthew describes that this will take place so that what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Behold, your king comes to you, meek and riding on an ass and on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. This meekness takes place in the midst of the acclamation of Hosanna and even little beatitude. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is followed immediately by his entering the temple, where he drives out all those engaged in selling and buying and overturning tables of the money changers. Jesus even calls them thieves or bandits. While Jesus' behavior in these two entrances might seem contradictory at first, both reveal Jesus' meekness. Jesus, the meek and humble king, enters Jerusalem and enters the temple and takes possession of both. But his actions reveal something else that he possesses. Both actions together bring him to his inheritance. His inheritance is the passion, death, and resurrection. When we allow all three facets of gospel meekness to shine in our hearts, we become Christian disciples in mission. And who better to exemplify Christian discipleship in mission than St. Maximilian Kolbe? He grew up in his native Poland and joined the religious order of the conventual Franciscans in 1910. Within the next nine years, he earned a doctorate in philosophy and another doctorate in theology. Following his ordination to the priesthood in 1919, he spent several years doing missionary work in Japan. Toward the end of the 1930s, Kolbe came back to his monastery on the outskirts of Krakow. In 1939, Poland was overtaken by Nazi forces. Kolbe's community began offering sanctuary at their monastery to those escaping the Nazi oppression. Over the course of two years, the friars hid and cared for over 3,000 refugees. In February of 1941, Kolbe was arrested by the Gestapo for the crime of hiding Jews and was sent to the notorious Auschwitz concentration camp.
Although he suffered greatly under the brutality of the guards, witnesses reported that he remained a person of faith, of peace, and generosity. In July of 1941, three prisoners appeared to have escaped from the camp. In retaliation, the deputy commander of Auschwitz ordered 10 men to be chosen to be placed in an underground bunker where they would be starved until they died. One of those chosen begged for mercy because he had a wife and children. Upon hearing this, Kolbe asked that he take this man's place. Kolbe, along with the other men, were led to their confinement. Guards reported that they could hear Kolbe leading the group in prayer. After two weeks, while nearly all of the men had died from starvation and dehydration, Kolbe was still alive. The guards removed him from the cell and executed him by lethal injection. Even as he was dying, those present claimed that he lifted his hands in prayer and surrender. To save another, Kolbe had offered his own life. Kolbe, an example of gospel meekness, was declared a martyr for the faith and canonized a saint in 1981. As we come to the end of this podcast, we can see that blessed are the meek for they will inherit the land refers to everyone on that hillside. In fact, for this beatitude, Jesus himself can even be included. We consider those meek who have been denied access to the world's resources or have not been given the opportunity to enjoy the creation that God intended for all people. Yet they do not respond with resentment and violence. They will inherit the land. We notice also those meek who understand their resources as completely gift from God. These meek use what they have for the direct benefit of those who do not have. They will inherit the land. Finally, we look to the example of Jesus and his fidelity to gospel meekness. Jesus' interaction with people brings him to his inheritance of passion, death, and resurrection. The words of a letter from St. Maximilian Kolbe offer us guidance for living out the gospel idea of Christian meekness. In a letter he wrote to his mother while he was in the concentration camp, he asks her to remain at peace about his situation. Why? Because, he said, the good God is everywhere and provides for everything with love. May God bless us all in our search for meekness, a meekness that guides our steps as Christian disciples in mission. We close with an Ignatian prayer asking God to shape our hearts to be generous. Thank you, Tori Wynn, one of our ministers of the word, for leading us in prayer. Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for reward, save that of knowing that I do your will. Amen.